believe it was uh, January of 1972, Frank and Judy Griffith joined us in this ministry, was selling cars in Napa, Idaho, came back this way. It's wonderful to have a good winter in Idaho. Can make you homesick for California. It's hard to sell cars when they're covered in snow. So uh, Frank and I in college used to think about having a church together and he came in 72, then he and Steve Fernandez and I basically put together a Grace School of Theology. We love the Bible, love theology, and was with us for many years. I've been corrected every time I say how many, for many years. And uh, now pastors in Knightson, right out of Brentwood, Calvary Bible Church, been there over 20 years. We love them dearly. Uh, it's a lifetime friend, and we went to seminary together and uh, slaughtered Greek together. I slaughtered it. He did good. So, Frank, come and keep your composure. Amen. Welcome, Frank Griffith. Well, he brought up the Greek class. Um, that was the greatest trial of my life because sitting next to Phil in a Greek class trying to keep your composure was almost impossible because he can give you a look like, what in the world is he talking about? And I would bust out laughing. We got kicked out of the class one day. <coughs> it was terrible. They thought it was, anyway. Turn to Colossians chapter 1. I want to speak to you today about how does the Bible change the Christian's life? I grew up in a church where I actually thought until I was in my teenage years, I thought that the way that God changed us was by zapping us. I believed in what I referred to as a zap theology. You'd have some incredible experience that all of a sudden you'd be a mature Christian. And yet it just didn't seem to work. Uh, and then I learned what this passage is saying. This is a prayer of Paul for the Colossians, who was a group of Christians he had never met, but he had a connection with them. They had sent their pastor to minister to him in Rome when he was under house arrest. And so he gets all this information about what's going on at the Church of Colossae, uh, and he writes this letter to them. And then the very beginning of this letter, very early in the letter, he says this. This is verse 9 of Colossians chapter 1. <clears throat> he says to them, For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, that is your conversion, uh, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has just qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. I just want to show you two things in this passage that reveals how the Bible describes the way that the Bible is to change your life. I think all of us are aware that the Bible is one of God's instruments in, in sanctification or changing us, transforming us. We have passages like Hebrews 4.12 that says, for the Word of God is alive and powerful, 
sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing to the dividing of soul and spirit, bone and marrow, and is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart to him before whom we must give an account. So the Bible reveals to us like a mirror, and it shows us the truth about ourselves, and sometimes that's not comfortable. There's 1,190 chapters in the Bible. So if you read, if you want to read through the Bible in a year, you've got to read about three and a half chapters. The problem is most people who read through the Bible in a year can't remember one thing they read. You'd be a lot better off to take a book for the year and read and reread this book and ask that God would do exactly what Paul says that these Colossians need to do in order to experience transformation, and that is they must be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Right at the very beginning, I just wanted to say, you have what Jay Adams calls the telos of the text. All that means is, uh, Jay Adams used to teach a course on preaching, and he said, the most important thing you can do when you pray a prayer sermon is discover the telos or the goal of the, of the passage. Why was this passage given? This, in, in this case, it's Paul telling them how he's praying. But why is he telling them? It's so that they would come to walk worthy of the Lord in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now, uh, I had put a little picture of a scale on there because that's what this word means. I think you can see it now. Uh, your life is supposed to reflect the same worth as Jesus Christ. That's a, that's a big calling, isn't it? But that's exactly what it means, that the way I live should reflect the reality of who Christ is. Is he really who the Bible says he is? <clears throat> if he is, my life should reflect it. Now, I understand at first blush, that sounds like that's way over the top, but this is exactly what Paul says. That's, his, that's the goal of this passage, that we would come to understand how we could live a life that reflects the glory of Christ. How does the Bible change us? I want to give you three things that he says in this text about what we should be doing and then, and then four things that God does as a result of this in our lives. And those three things are this, that first of all, we have to be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That first expression, be filled with the knowledge of his will, means to drink deeply from this spring that is God. What I mean by that, I mentioned this before, John Piper describes God as being a mountain spring that you drink from, not a watering trough that you have to carry water to and pour it out. You get the picture? In other words, God wants you to come and drink from him. He wants you to come and receive from him. He doesn't need anything from you. Maybe you're not aware of that, but he really doesn't need anything from you. He gives us the privilege of giving, but it's not that he needs what we have. He tells us this. He has a cattle on a thousand hills. He owns everything. If he got hungry, he wouldn't ask us to bring him food. But what he does want us to do is to come to him and to drink deeply from who he is. And that's the point here. He shows us how to, how to, to that this life is driven by understanding who God is and delighting in who God is. That's what he means by, that's our part, you see. Now, to drink deeply from this spring uh, and understanding that God isn't a watering trough that you have to somehow carry along in, in Isaiah, God makes fun of the uh, Jews in Isaiah when they're in Babylonian captivity because they were trusting the idols of their pagan neighbors. That's why they were in Babylonian captivity. 
And what happened was the, the Babylonians were under siege, and so they took all their idols, and they brought them into the main city and set them up to protect them. In other words, can you imagine hauling something in a cart to bring it, put it around your house to protect you? That's what they did. And God says to them, you see how foolish this is? You don't have to carry me, God says to them. I carried you from birth. And that's what it's true of us. He has carried us. We don't carry God. And so what we need to do is to come and drink deeply from this glorious spring, which is God. That is, be in the Word. To be filled with the knowledge of His will implies this, that I come to the Word of God to discover who God is. I need to discover who God is. Now, I, I love books. I've probably got about 7,000 books. I, I know that because I've got a eight, 900 books on my phone. You know how that is now with a Kindle? And uh, so books, you can, you can read all the books you want. You can read and read and read and read. You're not going to receive what you receive from the Word of God. The Word of God is alive and powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword. It's able to pierce the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, bone and marrow. It's able to judge the thoughts and intentions of your heart. The Bible is a living book. It is God-breathed, and it's God's instrument. It is His main instrument in sanctifying you, transforming you into the image of Christ. He uses other things. He uses your trials. He uses prayer. He uses fellow believers. But His primary tool is the Word of God. If I neglect the Word of God, I am neglecting God's primary tool of sanctification or transformation. In Romans chapter 8, verse 29, it says that those whom God has set his love upon, he has also made a plan about how he's going to conform them into the image of Christ. Did you know that, that God has a plan for your life? And that plan, as a believer, I'm talking to believers, he has a plan to conform you into the image of Christ. His plan for you is different than his plan for me. Each one of us, God has, has, has developed a plan by which he is going to it didn't take him long, by the way, but he's, he has a plan by which he's going to conform you into the image of his son. And that's why you're going through what you're going through now, because he has a plan, and he's working his plan every day in your life. That's the grace of God. That's the grace of God's sovereignty. And so what, what we want to do, first of all, is we come to the Word of God to find God there to see who God really is. You know, I love that song, You're a Good, Good Father. That was written by Chris Tomlin, and I've heard him talk about it, where he discovered that God was a good, good father. It wasn't through some experience. It was through the Word of God. It's the Word of God that tells you he's a good, good father. And I want to tell you something. I've learned this. By, when you discover the reality of who God is in His Word, it has greater impact on you than any experience you will ever have. Phil and I used to meet at restaurants. We've met at about every restaurant in the Bay Area to talk theology. And the thing that always happened was we always got into this discussion about how glorious God was because of what we discovered in His Word. And so what you want to do, this is, this is what our fellowship should really center around is the fact that God is working in your life by opening your eyes to the truth of who He is through the Word of God, and you can share it with each other. And it has life-changing results. So first of all, he says, drink deeply from this spring uh, by being filled with the knowledge of His will. 
I, I mentioned, I have to keep saying I mentioned the first service because I'm not used to preaching twice to the, at the same church. So I'm, it's like I'm peaking. People have already heard me once. Like I'm repeating myself. But I mentioned before. Now I forgot what I mentioned. <laughs> uh, oh, this idea of the, the, the will of God to, to be filled with the knowledge of his will. The word will here is referring to God's pleasure. What does God take pleasure in? Why is that so important? Because it reveals God's nature. What kind of a God is this? What does he take delight in? You know, the Bible says he doesn't take delight in the death of the wicked. But it says that when a believer dies, it, what, it, what it means is they're going to be entering into his presence. You see, God is different than us, and the only way we can discover what he's really like is through his self-revelation in the Word of God. This is how we find out all that he is for us in Christ Jesus. And so the first thing we have to do is be filled with the knowledge of his will, become under his influence, be filled with it, which means to be not just satisfied, but, but completely prepared. And then the second thing is you have to see the, see the real-life implications. And that's found in this expression in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Wisdom is the ability to put your knowledge to work in a situation. Understanding is particular situations. Like, I know what a, I know what a, a, a um, I know what tools are. I know a socket set. I know how to do some things, but I'm no mechanic. If you have a problem with your car, don't ask me because I don't have the wisdom or understanding to fix it. I only have the money to go to the mechanic and have him fix it because he has wisdom and understanding. But what he wants us to do is to come to have wisdom and understanding of how to apply what we've learned about God to everyday life. How am I going to apply this to the discipleship relationship I have with somebody? I meet with this guy every Wednesday morning that I've been meeting with for a while. And uh, he's, was grown, he grew up a Catholic. He has, he's, has a lot of stuff that's still in his life. I'm not sure if, if he's yet come to faith in Christ, but maybe. But what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to use everything I know about God to communicate to him so that he comes to see who God really is. Because God is not who he thought he was. And the only way we can do that is by coming and being filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And then, third thing we're to do, so the first thing is to drink deeply, that is be in the word, come to be filled with the knowledge of his will, and then secondly, to see the real life implications. What does this imply for me, since God is who he says he is? What does it imply for my life? And then the third thing I do is respond. Respond in obedience. See, living the Christian life is living in response to what God has revealed to me through his word about himself and his son and his will. And so I respond in obedience. I mentioned uh, first service about these two problems, intellectualism and emotionalism. Intellectualism is when you think just knowing stuff is all you need. Just know a bunch of stuff. You know, know what propitiation, reconciliation, redemption, uh, hypostatic union, all kinds of things. Just learn all this stuff. No, there has to be more than that. There has to, it has to touch your affections. Who God is has to touch you in the deepest part of who you are for you to grow. 
But the other problem is emotionalism, and that is when you just go for feelings. All you're trying to do is get people to feel something, but they're not feeling it for the right reason. Why should we be happy in God? Because of who He is. Because He is a glorious God. And then, so that is our part, that we are to drink deeply from this spring, that is, be filled with the knowledge of His will. We are to see the real-life implications and respond in obedience. This is what God does in response. It's found in the next few verses. Verses, the second part of verse 10 all the way down to verse 14. There's four things. These are like videotapes. You know how it is when you go, my son, my adult son who stays at our place a lot, he's, he's got an iPhone and he's always showing me these videos that he runs on too. They are hilarious. But have you noticed, I, I don't know what it's like in your house, but have you noticed that you can be in, I was in a restaurant the other day with my wife and the entire section where we were at, there was not one person who wasn't looking at their phone. Not one. Amazing. But what God wants to do is he wants to produce some divine effects through your understanding of who he is. He wants you to know him like a father. And he wants you to know him well. And when that happens, he begins to do th these four things. First, he produces fruitfulness. Our, fru our life will be, will be characterized by fruitfulness. What I was going to say was, this is like videotapes. This is describing your style of living. You'll be a person who has fruitfulness. That is, you'll be, dis you'll be manifesting the fruit of the Spirit on the inside and doing good works on the outside. Good works without the fruit of the Spirit is worthless. What we need is we need our heart to be changed, that the Spirit fills us, and then it comes out in our good works. That is, in our works that display the glory of God. And he says, this is what God will produce in you when you're doing what he just said we ought to be doing. And secondly, growing intimacy with the Father. He says, increasing in our knowledge of God. The word knowledge there, epigonosco, sorry about that. Uh, that word means, when it's talking about persons, it's knowing them really well. I've been married for 54 years. I was just a kid when I got married. And uh, I have lived with, the, with this woman her name is Judy. <laughs> I've lived with her for 54 years. I really know her well. I mean, I really know her well. I remember Phil telling me one time, he says, you know, my kids really like your wife. They don't care too much for you, but the reason they like you coming over is they like your wife. I don't blame them. She's wonderful. But see, I, came, I, I have come to know her intimately, and this is what he's talking about, is growing in our intimate knowledge of God in a relationship. I know him as father. Have you ever noticed how it is with Christians that they automatically, when they pray, they call God Father? Isn't that something? There was a guy that got saved when we were at Holy Ghost Hall. His name was Dick Williford. I just ran into him the other day, still walking with the Lord. It's almost as though God keeps his saints. But he got saved on a Sunday morning Phil was preaching, I, I don't know if I should tell this or not, he was preaching on sovereign election, and this guy got saved. And so that night, we met for prayer, and back, it was uh, behind the main auditorium was a little bar. This was called Holy Ghost Association, it was a, a, a Catholic association, and they had a bar back there. 
It was neat, neat old bar. We, we would belly up to the bar and pray. And so we were up against this, we were praying, and we just went around, everybody prayed. Well, it came to Dick. He got saved that morning. He says, God, hello, God, this is Dick Willerford. <laughs> and so, <laughs> but it, it was amazing. The next time I heard him pray, he called God Father. Now, what happened was he heard everybody else calling him Father, and he realized he was his father. You see, we know him very well. He is our Father. And he says, this is, what, this is the effect that God will produce in your life as you are filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And you live a life that is reflective of who Christ really is. And then the third thing he says is power to meet everyday situations. Do you have any situations going on that you need God to meet, empower you to meet? This way he puts it, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. That is God's glorious might. God exercises his power to equip you for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience. Let me tell you what steadfastness and patience it means. Steadfastness is saying, is saying you continue to trust God, obey God, love God when the situations are difficult. Very hard circumstances. Hard circumstances. But the word patience has to do with continuing to love God, believe God, and continue on in faith when you are dealing with difficult people. You, you, you guys ever have that happen where you have to deal with difficult people? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand or anything, but you know what I'm talking about. Dealing with difficult people. The word actually means uh, to keep your boiling point a long ways off. In other words, instead of being ready to blow at any moment, you have patience because you know that the Spirit of God is, He empowers you to have patience. I was displaying a little bit of, Phil calls it a spludge fit. I got a guy in my church that calls it a spludge fit, and I know it's only because I've used that expression I heard from him. I think that's in Oklahoma or Kansas or something, a spludge fit. But... <clears throat> My wife got on to me the other day because I was trying to do something on my computer. I was having to transfer some files to a guy, and I got, things got all messed up. And so I wrote the guy. I was just so upset. I'm, I'm fiddling with this thing. I've tried three times to get it right, and I'm, I'm expressing anger at this computer. My secretary, who's been with me for 35 years, she talks to the computer all the time. I, had, I found this program that I put on her computer, and we're on the same network, and whatever I typed, it would speak to her. And so when she started talking to the computer, I would type in there, back away from the computer. <laughs> and it scared her to death. She, she runs in and says, the computer is talking to me. <laughs> well, but you know what it's like to get upset about things? Well, patience is the ability to stay at the task and not have a spludge fit, but continue to love somebody who's difficult to love. That's supernatural. There's no lesson, there's no class you could give that would teach people how to do that. It's supernatural. The Spirit of God gives us that as we're walking in the Spirit. And then he says, the fourth thing is, we will be joyfully 
We will continually have joyful gratitude to the Father. This is how he puts it. Joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. That's, that's what's happened to us as believers. He goes on, for he rescued us from the domain of darkness, that is Satan's domain, and he transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We have the redemption of sins. We have been given, redemption means to pay the ransom price to set you free. And he set you free from sin and all that that meant, the, the guilt and the judgment and the fear. Isn't that wonderful? That's what happened when we were transferred into the kingdom of his dear son. And so he says, we have this attitude of thanksgiving. He goes on to mention four things we should be thankful for. The first is we should be continually joyously giving thanks for the inheritance for which the Father has qualified us. Um, inheritance, you understand what an inheritance is, and this is, this is what he says in 1 Corinthians 3.22. This is your inheritance. If you're a believer, you have become an, uh, an heir of God and a joint heir with Jesus Christ. This is what Paul says you have received. All things belong to you. <laughs> That's what Paul said. All things belong to you. And you belong to Christ, and Christ belongs to God. And so, he says, we're to be giving thanks for this inheritance. Now, this is huge to me because I grew up being told constantly that if I wanted to grow as a Christian, I had to have another experience, another blessing. You need a second blessing, third blessing, fourth blessing, on and on and on. You've got to have more blessings. And then I read Ephesians 1. I still remember when I, that first sunk in. You know Ephesians 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has, in the past, blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ. And then he goes on to start enumerating them. I never heard of such a thing. I've been seeking, I was seeking blessings my whole life as a young person. I come to discover that God has already blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus. And so what am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to be giving him thanks. If I really believe it, if I really believe that he has blessed me in this way, then I'll be giving him thanks. The second thing he says we're to be giving thanks for is the deliverance from the satanic realm. He took us out of the kingdom, the domain of darkness, that is the satanic kingdom, and transferred in us into the kingdom of his dear son. This is the present form of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of his dear son. Now, when you pray the Lord's Prayer, that's what we typically call it, it says in there, if you, if you pray that, you pray, uh, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the Father's kingdom. It's going to come in the future. That's the future form of the kingdom of God. But right now, if you're a believer, you're in the kingdom of his beloved son. And he's your king. He's the one who's protecting you. I want to tell you, he's a, a whole lot better than any Republican or Democrat. <laughs> now, notice I said both because I don't want to start a fight or anything. I had an old friend from high school send me a, a message on Facebook, and he said, please tell me you don't believe that Donald Trump is a Christian, because all of his friends are telling me he was. I said, I have no idea. <laughs> I don't know. I didn't know he professed to be a Christian, but I have no idea. Sometimes I'm sure people wonder that about me and you. 
do you really think they're a Christian? See, Arminians, they, they have it easy. When somebody starts acting in a way that Christians shouldn't act, they just say they lost their salvation. But Calvinists, what they say is he was never saved. Both of them are cop-outs, aren't they? Because God knows how to discipline his children. So we give thanks that we are in we are qualified for this inheritance, which is everything, that we have been delivered from the satanic realm and we've tr been transferred into the kingdom of Christ. And then finally, that the redemption we have in Christ, which resulted in our forgiveness of sins, has been given to us. My sins are forgiven. I don't, I don't know about you, but that's just the most amazing thing, isn't it? My sins are forgiven? Now, that probably didn't have any impact on you, but if you knew me, you would say, are you sure? Yes. My sins have been forgiven because Christ paid for my sins. And so I have been set free. And so he says we will be continually giving thanks. The, the last thing I'd like to say is the bottom line of all this is that deepening your intimacy with God through the Bible leads to a joyful relationship with the Father that will last for all eternity. It's almost like you're getting acclimated to heaven as you carry on this relationship with the Father because you're going to spend eternity with him. And so you should start today. There's just nothing like it. There's nothing like fellowship with God. There's nothing like having a living, real fellowship, a sharing and things in common with the Father, and it will last for all eternity. Now, the what the way that you start is you start being filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding god wants to bless your life based upon who he is and who you are to him i, I ran into something this morning early as i was reading the bible you know second corinthians chapter 10 talks about strongholds Strongholds in that context are talking about ways of thinking that we haven't gotten rid of yet that are still in our heart. That, uh, that those, those things that we believe, Dave Ekman calls them intuitions. Things that we believe that are in contradiction to the truth of who God is, and yet they hold us captive. And so Paul says what he was doing for the Corinthians, he was coming in to destroy, to pull down those strongholds. So they would get rid of all that thinking that was in opposition to the truth of who God really is. And that's what we have to do. And the only way to do it is when you discover that, you have to bring it to the surface, confess it, repent of it, and ask God to take care of it, to do away with it. If you're somebody who thinks that God couldn't possibly love you because, because you're such a mess, then that's, that's a stronghold. That's not the truth. That's why he's given you all these stories in the Bible about people that you would never have anything to do with, and yet they become an instrument in the hands of God. Why is that? He wants you to understand what's important is what he can do with you, not what you can do with you. He's a glorious God. I have no idea what time it is, but I'm going to stop. Is it too early? I'm really early. <laughs> I, I'm so blind, I can't see that clock up there. It's really bad.
So, so let me pray for you. That's more important than anything I can say. Our Father, we uh, understand how desperately we need you. We also understand how that we have fallen short in so many ways, and sometimes we get to the place we don't even want to try anymore because we won't, don't want to be disappointed. And yet, God, what you've done for us is that you have given us yourself and your Son and the Spirit. And what you want us to do is to come to know who you are and begin to relate to you based upon who you have revealed yourself to be, not what we have painted you to be, but what you have revealed yourself to be and who you've revealed yourself to be. I thank you for this church. I, like Steve Mall, feel like this was such, those years that I was here, those 14 long years that I was here were such a great blessing to me. I grew because I heard the word over and over and over again. I kept hearing the truth of the word of God applied to all of life. Thank you for Phil. Thank you for using him. I know he's a weak vessel. I know that he's a cracked pot that you filled with your grace and it spilled out all over us and we're so grateful for it. Bless this church, Father. Continue to pour out your spirit upon these people. Continue, Father, uh, that your word would continue to have a deep, deep work in their lives, I pray, that you may be glorified. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.